You're listening to I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek Care of You. I hope you enjoy the show. We don't care about you, but we're going to discuss Without You, I'm Nothing, the second studio album by Placebo, anyway. It was released on October 12, 1998 by Hutt and Virgin Records and was produced by Steve Osborne and Phil Vinal. The album was a critical and commercial success, spawning five singles, peaking at number seven on the UK album chart and has sold over one million copies to date. On the other mic is My Sweet Prince and a fellow American on the lam in Poland. Now residing in Warsaw, he is a writer and a DJ. Welcome to the show, Brendan James. How is the capital city treating you, Brendan? Pretty nice, even though I can't be outside. I moved here at the very, very tail end of last year to take a new job, and it beats the hell out of being an English teacher, financially speaking. Uh, when the quarantine started, uh, I, I started dating somebody before that, and uh, quarantine started, moved in with her, and we have not killed each other yet. It's been a pretty good time. Uh, all things considered, getting to work from home, doing that whole lax thing. It's it's the, the pandemic's been pretty damn good to me. How about you? Probably not quite as good, but not too bad. I also started a new job, but uh, after the pandemic had started, so I've gotten to do all my onboarding and, and whatnot at home, which is a luxury. So uh, it, as kind of strange as it's been, it's uh, I consider myself lucky to have found something in the, in the midst of all the uh, the madness here. Right. I'm glad to hear that things are, are working out for you over there, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that at the flip. But uh, let's go ahead and get started here with Placebo. How did this album enter your life, Brendan? Okay, well, by the time this came out, 1998, I'm 15 years old, so I'm angsty. And, you know, grunge hadn't been a thing for a long time, but there was new metal and there was lots of it. I had a whole new uh, soundtrack to my angst that, you know, people in the early 90s didn't. I had heard a little bit of Placebo before. I wasn't very impressed. I remember uh, when the rollout for Without You and Nothing came out, you know, Pure Morning was the first single. And I remember the first time that I heard it, I thought it was Harvey Danger. <laughs> I, it just did sound a little bit more just, you know, just a little bit of a deeper voice. I mean, think about it the other way. Uh, Flagpole said it sounds like Brian Molko on Uppers. I mean, you can Im- easily, easily imagine him singing the lyrics. So it made a weird kind of sense in my head. But I started kind of being persuaded toward this album by a dream and my dream was that i had both of placebo's albums now (laughs) it's a pretty weird thing but i decided to at least go check them out so it was the very early days of the internet and uh, they had an official website and they had some real audio clips and i remember being really struck with the minimalism of their website. I liked the album artwork. I liked the colors, the tones, the washed out quality of some of it. I I was attracted to the whole package and I listened to some of the clips and I really, really liked it. I was also, you know, not that I was any sort of audio engineer when I was 15 years old, but I was really impressed by the editing of these clips because they run about a minute to a minute and a half long and they weren't just a chunk of the song taken. It was it edited shortened down given like maybe a verse and a chorus and then the outro of the song i don't know i just there's something i liked about that 
um, those miniature versions. But anyway, I bought the album, I believe it was t- December 26, 1998. It was my post-Christmas spending spree after all the money and music store certificates that I used to get. I got that album that day along with two others. I think that was um, Darkest Days by Stabbing Westward and The Devil You Know by Econoline Crush. I loved uh, Without You, I'm Nothing, the best of them all. It's one of my favorite records because it there's something very dark and romantic and angsty about it. And those were things that I was feeling at 15 years old. And it wasn't in-your-face aggression. It was something a little bit more nuanced. Something, and the lyrics are describing things, you know, kind of the, you know, I was feeling like a proto version of the things he's talking about on that record. There's a lot, some things that I cannot relate to on there as a 15 year old, but it was something that was just beyond me. I felt so I don't know. There's something that was very attractive about this album. Well, that's a great story. I like, I, I was like when you can remember, cause doing the show, there's times where I very specifically remember when I first hear the record and other times it's just a, it's too much of a blur. This happens to be one of those albums that I very specifically remember how I heard this. I had been working for a local magazine and one of the things that it was doing, so I was the editor in chief basically. So, cause there was not many people working there. So I would write and edit and help with distribution and depending on what needed to be done, I did, I did a lot of different things. And one of the things I was doing was the music column. So I was writing, a review. And then I talked a couple of friends of mine into contributing reviews as well. And they both worked at Vinyl Fever. I can't remember if this was a regular review or if it was a year end, if it was the year end thing from 1980 or 1998. Uh, One of the guys who Gabe uh, Echizabo had written, without you, I'm nothing. Without this album, your collection is nothing. And that was his entire review. (laughs) (laughs) Dropping the bomb. I had gone to the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl was in Miami. And so this would have been in probably, let's say, February of 99. So just a game, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the Falcons game. So a friend of mine worked for NFL Films. And so I went down. So I drove down to Miami. I was living in Tampa at the time. I go down to Miami. I spent about a day and a half just hanging out. But when it came to the game, I needed to go. I needed to leave early because I had jury duty the next day. I was having a, not the best luck in my life at that time. And I figured, you know, most people are like, ah, you should have just skipped it. They wouldn't know or care. But I was at that point in my life where they would have sent marshals to arrest me, (laughs) you know, just because I was kind of unlucky at the time. So I'm like, I'm not going to mess with it. So, So my buddy had you know, a credit card and an expense account. He was there to work, but we also got to have a little bit of fun. So we, were, we hung out. And then when the game started, I drove home. And so uh, I waited as long as I could, but I was like, no, nah, I need to do this. And so I, I was driving home from Miami, which I think Miami to Tampa is about four and a half hours, something like that. And it was that it was getting late and I was getting tired, skipping through the radio. I landed on something and Pure Morning came on. I had never heard anything by them. I just knew the name. And I didn't even, I didn't know the name of the single. I wasn't really listening to the radio very much at the time. It blew me away. Just as I'm like, what is this song? This is the coolest song I've ever heard. And then it was like, oh, that's, you know, the new one from Placebo. The whole way home, I'm just driving. I'm saying, without this album, my collection is nothing. Without this album, my collection is like, so I wanted to remember. So I didn't go home and fall asleep and go do jury duty and then forget which band it was because I only heard it the one time. Mm-hmm. I want to say I sat and didn't get called for jury duty, but I 
I was there, nobody could arrest me. And then the next day or two, I went to Vinyl Fever and, and I picked it up. We'll talk about my feelings on it there. Obviously, we're talking about it now. So clearly, I fucking love this record. So let's go ahead and get yeah. into the track by track analysis. So it's a side one, track one, first single there, Pure Morning. This song just doesn't sound like anything else, really. Now, obviously, you thought it sounded a little bit like Harvey Danger. And now that you say that, I can I can hear that just a little bit. But it's been so long since I've heard Flagpole Sitter. But that's one of those songs you don't need to hear. <laughs> there was enough. Yeah, there, there was enough. Got enough play back then. Yeah, I just love this song. I love how it starts with that kind of clanging guitar, the clang, clang, clang. And then those off-kilter drums kick in. And it's like when you listen to that on headphones, it almost kind of makes you dizzy off your balance kind of thing, the way that the drums are mic'd in. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Brian Loco's voice, which my first thought was he sounds a lot like Getty Lee from Rush, which I know he's got one of those kind of love it or hate it voices, but it just mm-hmm. worked for me. Right. And just the way this whole thing came together, just the, the lyrics I'm not much of a lyrics guy, but he sings in a way that you can understand most of what he's saying. And it doesn't really add up to much, but it sounds clever, you know, boxing clever, I guess. I just immediately, I love the song. I still love the song. This is one that I think has just a great deal of power to it. It doesn't sound like a whole lot else. There's not much that sounds like it. What do you think about this one? It took me a couple of listens to fully get on this one. I thought there was a pretty good remix on one of the uh, on one of the British singles of this one by I think Le, Le Rhythms Digitals. It, it made it a little bit dancier, and I feel like that was a pretty good route for that one. I don't know if they would ever release a dance pop version of that, but that was the dance pop version of that and stuffed away on one of the singles. But back to what it actually sounds like. I'm a sucker for fuzz bass. The bassist, I forget his name at the time, he lets loose with a pretty tasty fuzz bass riff in, in the middle of the first verse. That was something that really helped me get on board i don't know the timbre of the vocals the nasal quality of his voice it goes really well with the melody that's going on it's being played in a chord i'm not a music I'm not a music major or anything like that but it's being played in a chord that you know you don't hear a lot of pop songs go into a lot of rock songs there and it, it was very melodic to me and then the drums as you were saying very pummeling very hypnotic very detuned which i think they kind of have a kinship with all the new metal that was going on at the time because corn was going with that sort of uh drum sound 311 i seem to remember a lot of the these rap and ska bands out of the midwest it was really weird to hear that in kind of in the same league so that's what's in my mental picture of it that's it i'm i'm, I'm much much more taken aback by the melody of this whole juggernaut than i am the lyrics not saying the lyrics are bad i I remember brian mulco reading something once that he said the lyrics were about this kind of alienation that you feel in the morning and just kind of wanting someone to you know be able to comfort you back to sleep there's something that resonated with me there 
as a 15 year old, as an angsty 15 year old, you know, I was angry, but I just wanted to be calmed down. I don't know. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few times where I'll talk about lyrics on the show, but for the most part, I care about how it's being sung as opposed to what the words are. Most yeah, of the time, yeah. you know, if there's a real story to catch on to, latch on to, I, I will talk about it. But I mention all the time on the show that I'm not a huge lyrics guy, but I like the way the words work on this one. And a friend in need is a friend indeed. A friend with weed is better. You know. Sure. <laughs> Do you remember the music video for this song? I do not. It featured Brian Molko. He's at a top of the bill uh, of a building, threatening to jump off. Basically, it's like a big thing where there's news crews and police trying to talk him down. It's shot in these very harsh colors, and he makes like he's going to jump, and he does, but he actually walks down the side of the building, and nobody can fucking believe it. It's kind of a nod to the Just video by Radiohead. It, it was all right. It was pretty cool, a little entertaining. It fit the song, I think. I'll have to check it out. There's been a ton of stuff where I just, a lot, if I really like a song, a lot of times I don't want to see the video because I prefer my own mental that, images. That is how I am these days. I used to have no problem accepting the music video and the single as a whole because at some point in my life, I was better at taking my image of the song and connecting it with things in my head and leaving it separate of the video. But I found that as I've gotten older, for some reason, I am not able to do that as easily as, as I used to be. So if I hear a song that's kind of cool, but it's attached to a really wacky videos with some visuals that screw with me i'm not gonna want to go back and listen to that song it's, it's strange yeah then sometimes i'll see it and, it and i like it and i can still get my own picture it's gotta go back and forth i didn't even i um, you know i knew it was a single i didn't even think to look for the video um I have to, maybe i have to check that out I have, i've i've had this you know all by itself for you know what 21 years now so uh i i guess i could fit a little something else in there do it it's only four minutes of your life there you go. All right, track two, Brick Shithouse. What do you think about this one? All right. Well, Brick Shithouse, I mean, Pure Morning Great as it was, it's not exactly, you know, your typical cock rock that would get onto the American radios. That it was even a little bit of a hit at all is something of a minor triumph. But Brick Shithouse is where the, the guitars come out to play. The, the rhythm is driving. It's a very nice punk, post-punk uh, sound in there. It's not one of my favorites, but I don't exactly hate it like that either. There's things that uh, get stuck in my head a lot about that song and i find myself thinking about it even when i haven't listened to it in years it'll just warm its way back into my head <laughs> undesirably so that's about what my take on it what about you my biggest concern with this especially when the only song i know is track one and that track sounds just really different that it's going to be one of those albums where that first song is a total teaser you know Psych. it's yeah, it's like, all right, I, you liked how that sound? Well, that's too bad because nothing else is going to sound like that ever again. Ha, ha, ha. I'm sure your CD collection, because you're, you know, I'm a little bit older than you, but I'm sure your CD collection, at least at one point, was littered with albums that you got. And then there was one or two tracks that you liked. And then the rest of it was garbage, you know? Sure. Yeah. And I was 
clearly afraid that that could happen with this. So this track two is really important to my enjoyment of this record. And how am I going to be able to continue on with it? Or is it going to be one of those just, you know, nothing after nothing after nothing. And just the way the guitar, like you mentioned, the guitar is a little more post-punk on this one. I like at the beginning how it's almost just like spitting out at you. Uh, and there's that vocal fuckery going around in the background where, you know, his voice is being manipulated and whatnot. And then it just all comes together and it explodes. I love Pure Morning. I still think it's just a fantastic song. Brickshit House is a really good song too. I think it helps move you along into the album that you're going to get some different flavors. You're going to get some different textures. This is a band who's come to play. They haven't just served you up a single and then snoozed. Well, somebody wrote a bunch of gar garbage behind their backs or whatever, you know. This one doesn't get as much play as track one. Like if I just want a quick hit from Placebo, there's a couple of songs that I do go to. But if I'm listening to the whole album, I, I just I like where this one's positioned. I like how it brings me into the into the rest of the record. Right on. So track three, you don't care about us. With this one, I love the the melodic guitar that opens this one up. I have a couple of different shifts. And so this one still say like these first three, I think, are, are all nice up-tempo. Just something about the melody of the guitar at the beginning. Because in the guitar sound, it uh, crunches up a little bit going in. Yeah, what do you think about this one? I think that melody is very sweet. It's very warm, very inviting. It's a good backdrop to the lyrics because I, like I like the way the lyrics uh, juxtapose against this sweet riff. It's talking about a very tense situation. Not in a completely descriptive way, just very like, you're in the getaway car you're on the back page you know just almost like he's yelling at you it's like you know what the hell are you doing and that, i guess that's what inspired the sentiment of the song you don't care about us i like very much the chorus i like the vocal layering at the end as well i've always been pretty taken with that and i i, I thought this was a good single wish i would have heard this more on the radio and this is one for whatever reason i Sometimes I think this is the title track because mm. I think You Don't Care About Us would be a really cool name for a second record. Almost <laughs> definitely. Yeah, especially, yeah, take the pet because that British press, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like they're always looking to tear these bands up. You know, they get built up a little bit and they start feeling themselves. And then that first single off the second record comes and they just piss off. Right. And just that would have been amazing. I, I agree with you there. In my head canon, this is the title track. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> track four, ask for answers. What do you think about this one? Okay. This track 
is what made me buy the record. I really enjoyed the ambiance on this one. It is, in, it is incredibly romantic. The guitars, very woozy guitars. He's talking about asking the sea for answers. The lyrics evoke the sea. The music, the, I feel like I am at the beach on a moonlit night in a, a hotel room with my significant other, who I may or may not just have been in a very deep emotional argument with. It reminded me a lot of, of that stuff from uh, Ivy, a lot of their 90s albums, very good dream pop and rock band. I'm just a sucker for that sort of sound as well. Yeah, and this is one that slows way down. So those first three are are all, like I said, up-tempo. Mm-hmm. And then this uh, you know, second half of this first side slows down. You see that with Ask for Answers, and you mentioned the guitar. I feel like the bass player does a lot of good stuff on this album. I think that he is pretty instrumental in their sound. Mm-hmm. But I, for some reason, didn't take hardly any notes on the bass because <laughs> it's only a three-piece band. Mm-hmm. And I think what he's doing allows Brian, the guitar, who's the singer and the guitar player, allows him a lot of leeway to do some fun stuff with the guitar and that he's really holding down and he's not just doing root notes, but he's also not doing a lot of frilly stuff either. So he's somewhere in that middle ground where he's playing the bass as almost like the rhythm guitar, let's say. So he's pulling a lot of weight that way, which allows you to focus more on the guitar. And I just really like the kind of thrown off flanges of guitar. It's not like a steady rhythm a lot of times. It's just him kind of, you know, just throwing these things out while it really slows down the pace. I think this one just is a little too long is my only problem with it. It overstays its welcome just a bit. That outro, they, they tack on that extra outro. I was never a huge fan of that myself. Yeah, so it's over five minutes and when you have those three that are just kind of pummeling you that, uh, and then it comes back down, it's like, I'm fine with that. But especially at this place, this is where you're expecting to see, you know, either track three or track four, you're going to get something, you're going to get your ballad, or you're going to get your single, or you're going to get, you know, a song like this. It really just pulls it back. I had never really thought about the beach, even though he mentions it. But now that you say that, that's great. Now that's probably what I'll hear from now on. So <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. Listen to it at night. Next time you go somewhere beachy, maybe not the Baltic, who knows, maybe the Black Sea. Maybe maybe you find yourself on the East Coast of the United States. It's a good album to crank up when you're looking at the waves and feeling pensive. Sure. Track five, the actual title track, Without You, I'm Nothing. This also stays in that uh, slower space, so it doesn't pick right back up, Because uh, which usually you see like it'll dip down for the one song, and a lot of albums will just bring it right back up. This one stays, uh, it stays down, and it also, I think, has kind of those uh, down-tuned guitars, like you were talking about, which we were used to hearing from new metal a lot of the time, but it's not doing it in a way that it's, because it's not a heavy song, right? But it has that, just the, that, the guitar that sounds a little bit deeper than than you're used to hearing. For a slower song, that there, there are times when the guitar really, really comes at you what do you think about this one i like how it seems this seems to happen on at least a couple songs on this album i think on pure morning it also happens where 
the uh, I don't know. I feel like the vocals and the uh, melody in the background. It's occupying a, this, the same tone, the same key, and I don't know. There's this kind of vibrating effect that I get from this one. I don't know, just because everything seems to be in sync. And then the single version of this song contains a contribution from the one David Bowie. He's in there and he adds more to that atmosphere. Brian Molko's and David Bowie's vocals are pretty go pretty well together when they break off toward the end going i'm unclean a libertine like they do some pretty impressive vocal harmony there it's not conventional by any means but it's still pretty impressive to listen to that being said once you go to the single version you can't really go back to the album version it just feels like it's lacking something yeah david bowie yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay so track six allergic to thoughts of mother earth What do you got for me here? My thoughts on this one aren't that complex. I I like the riff. I like the riff that leads throughout the song between the verses and such. I always find myself coming back to the lyric, we gamble to be born again. You know, I never wanted to. Not for any particular reason at all, but just sometimes that will weasel its way into my head, whatever I'm thinking. Oh, where did that come from? So I I have songs and I have lyrics that I'll just end up thinking at random moments. I'll end up coming back to. You have anything like that? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, not necessarily from from this album, but of course, there are times where just depending on the situation or just at random moments, a guitar riff will go through my brain or lyrics will just, oh, by the way, don't forget about this one, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And of course, it, had you not said something, I, I probably could have thought of one, but now they've all fled my brain like it was on fire. <laughs> yeah, that's, so, that's what happened. Yeah. And I like how this one, so it picks the pace back up. I've only heard this album because I had this on CD uh, and I've listened to it on streaming the last uh, week and I've never listened to this one on vinyl and I still, especially in the context of the show, I tend to think of side one and side two and how that's laid out. And I'm not 100% sure that this is where the side one would end, but this is where we're going to end it. So uh, I feel like that this is a decent place because, again, it it picks it back up. So we have these two slower songs and then the pace is back. And this one's, you know, fairly short. It's it's not quite four minutes long. Let's say average length for a song that you could hear on the the radio. Uh, You would think that uh, either, well, maybe not so much without you, I'm nothing, but maybe the crawl would have been a better track to end a side on it's because it's kind of the weird one that uh, you would expect to lead out a side not so much a corker like like allergic yeah and that's where i think they almost had to because if you end the side with three slower ones yeah. i think that really just drags it down and especially if you're listening to it on cd which most people were at this point so you figure you know this is before there was the big upswing on vinyl a lot of things weren't necessarily getting a vinyl release 
though I feel like some engineer somewhere was still thinking about that when you're when you're doing the layout for the album. You don't often get the corker at the end, but this one I think works just because of the tracks that are before it. True. So it's a really good tune. Uh, you know, I think works in the context of a CD, but also works in the context of vinyl. That brings us to the end of side one of Without You, I'm Nothing by Placebo on I Fucking Love This Record with my special guest, Brendan James. So Brendan, you said you, you moved to Warsaw for a new job, so you're no longer teaching English. You're no longer doing the... <laughs> American or Brit abroad and just teaching them English. What are you uh, What are you doing these days over in Warsaw? Well, I'm doing content writing for a startup over here. Just, you know, enough to keep bread on the table and it's been pretty good. Financial stability is nice, folks. I'm sure you understand that as you struggle for your, for your day-to-day lives. I consider myself incredibly lucky I could be up there still hustling. It's strange because life personally is going swimmingly and while the world is burning. That's a bit of a downer, but, you know, got to press on. I, to, to keep busy during the quarantine, I sometimes do a Twitch stream, DJing some tracks, little throwback to my college radio days when I was a DJ on Friday nights. So I do that to keep the spirits up, make some people happy. Twitch.tv slash Bren James Dan. If you want to check me out, maybe I'll have a schedule over there by the time this airs. Maybe I'll still be doing it. Maybe I'll be on to some other shit. Who knows? Okay. Well, we can always find out more about that. So I was able to tune in to the one that you did for your birthday, which was a mm-hmm. lot of fun. Gotcha. All right. Well, hope to see you on Twitch. Okay. So we're going to flip this guy over. Track seven, The Crawl. It's way too broke to fix. No glue. And this is another one that slows down the pace to a crawl. Uh, hey. hey. Whereas Ask for Answers and Without You I'm Nothing, I think those are those are both good. I love the crawl. This is one of my favorites here. This one is slow, but this one's moody and it's dark. And I love yes. his vocal performance on this one. And Ask for Answers or Without You I'm Nothing are more kind of that standard, eh, we're just going to slow this down. This is the one that, you know, you hear bands where they're really playing with the texture of it. They're playing with just this one appeals to me a lot more than those previous two, which are both fine songs. But this is a song that I will cue right up to this one. I love this song. Just the way he sings, like at the end, just like the crawl, just really work. And I can't sing for shit. And I apologize for you having to listen to that. But that is one that just gets the like the tingle going. I was like, yeah, I get what you're saying, even though I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, so I don't know how well this would lead off like if i'm flipping the record over i haven't been able to hear this as side two song one as much as i hear this as song seven initially because it did that whole like i thought the pacing was just a touch off because it's the two slow then the corker and then another slow one if it wasn't for the fact that this was such a great song and clocking in that under three minutes that I think that if they would have gone too long with this one, that may have really messed up the pacing of this record. But because the song is so interesting and so short that it really works where it is. What do you think about it? I mean, yeah, this one could have easily gone six minutes and, um, you know, they really just draw it out. It could have been that long, but mercifully it's not. This is one of my 
least favorites on the album, I would say, right here. I don't know. There, there's something about Ask for Answers and Without You, I'm Nothing that are more engaging. There are textures, but they're overt textures. Here, there are textures, but they're incredibly subtle. And if you're not trying to listen for them, you're going to miss them. The only thing I've got to say at this one is that I do seem to have memories of this on a particularly angsty, moody, pissy day or evening I would be in the dark with no light but the uh, display from my CD player, and this would be on. And my room would be bathed in this green and red light. So it is an incredibly moody song. This is the moodiest mood that ever mooded, or at least the placebo ever mooded here. Yeah, and it's funny uh, that this is one that doesn't appeal to you and does appeal to me because I, I remember when I was listening to this, can you know, when it, when it was first out, and my roommate at the time was also a big music guy, but we listened to fairly different stuff. But this was one of those albums that we agreed on. We both liked the album a lot, but we both liked different songs a lot more than than the other person. So like our top three tracks didn't match up except for this one. For some reason, this is one that we both really liked. But other than that, if I came on and just played one song, it would not have been the one song he would have played. This is one where we found some agreement. John, I don't think you listen to the show, but if you are, I'm talking about you. (laughs) So track eight, Every You, Every Me. What do you got for me? I mean, I just, I I love this song. Great single. It sounds like an energetic pop rock song. I just really dug it. It's a piece of ear candy, strange ear candy, but ear candy nonetheless. And I think it did pretty well on the radio, if I remember. I, I heard this several times coming off of there. I remember this being, I think it was on the Cruel Intention soundtrack or something like that. And it, and it fit the plot of that right well. Just vaguely sexy teenagers v- doing vaguely sexual things and there's menace and there's intrigue. And you get placebo soundtracking it. So I didn't really have a problem with that. <laughs> yeah, I like how this one bursts right out at you. So we've gone through The Crawl, which is, is a really slow one. And then this one's just bubbly and up there and it's going. While still being a, being a rock song. So it doesn't go full-on pop or anything. This has got just a great hook to it. I don't have a lot to say about this one, but I really like this song. This will get you going. And I think, you know, listening to it on CD, you need this one right here. After you have three out of the four songs are slower ones, and then this one really just brings it back up. Indeed, indeed. And then to track nine, My Sweet Prince. which unfortunately brings it right back down again. I like this song, but 
I don't like the placement of this song. What it comes down to is I prefer placebo when they're rocking <laughs> or when they're up tempo as opposed to when they're when they're slower. This is one that I sometimes skip this song. It's nearly six minutes long. It's really slow. I would have rather they made the crawl a little bit longer and gotten rid of this one. Mm-hmm. Though I do like it. There's times where it'll catch me. This is one of those that it sounds a little bit different every time. Depend, it depend, I think it depends on my mood just because of the length of it. Like if I'm in that mood, then this song hits that sweet spot and I like it. And if I'm not in that mood, it gets the fast forward button. What do you think about it? I mean, yeah, I, I feel like this album has a hard time establishing a real groove. Like they could have made an album full of, I mean, not saying that it's not moody, but an album full of moody, slow balloting rockers. And if you would have put five of them in a row in the middle of the album, you know, it could have been tolerable if you made it interesting, but there is a lull in the middle of this thing. It, Gets brought up only to be brought back down. Be brought up only to be brought back down. And that sort of pacing, I don't know how many of these songs you've ever put on mixtapes for people. I mean, I've put I've put on Ask for Answers on a, on a few mixtapes. And whenever I try to structure them, I try to do it as gradually as possible. So if I'm taking you through a side, I'm going to go I'm start strong, then get down into some of those cuts. Then like, by track seven, I'm bringing you up with some mid-tempo stuff, some high-tempo stuff, then maybe a dip back down as the CD goes on. I try not to make it like 20 tracks because, I mean, might not have been that interesting, but there's too much variance here in the track listing, which uh, I know we love this record, but I mean, that kind of... It kind of throws off the the mood if you don't already love that sort of thing. Agreed. And I wonder if they would have found a way to front load it because you wouldn't want to back load with the with the slower ones. And if they could have found a way to take you on a little bit of a journey on side one and then just rock your face off on side two. I don't know. Would I have liked that better? I don't know. Maybe because I still, like you said, I still fucking love this record. And right. this is this is just the one that I feel like if you get rid of one of these, it works just a little bit better. And this would be the one that would probably get the axe, even though I really like there's a, that um, almost like this industrial like banging sound that's that comes through. That reminds me a lot of a song from Mark Lanigan that just jumped out of my head. So the f- opening track on on um, on Bubblegum. Anyway, it's got a very, like, it's not quite as heavy as what Mark Lanigan did, but it's got that similar thing. And I'm like, I was this week listening to it. I'm like, that would be good together on a mixtape. <laughs> Definitely. Like, I mean, they, like this song uh, in more capable hands would have been a little bit more compelling. You know, I was talking about remixes earlier. Like this would have, you know, this would have benefited from like a Trent Reznor or like a, or a Danny Loner remix. Do something with that industrial. Put a little bit more menace in it. Put a little bit of sting in there as you're singing these, you know, very yearning, very um, affected lyrics towards someone. Like if you put a little bit of the bite in there, I, I feel like could have really opened up the emotional complexity of this one. I would agree with that completely. Moving on to track ten, "Summer's Gone." What 
you got here? Okay, this is like the side two version of Ask for Answers. I, I might not like it quite as much as that one, but it is so pensive and it is so dreamy. Like, I feel that the title of the song really sets the tone for it. It sounds like things are dying. It sounds like leaves are falling. It almost, I can almost feel some sleet on my head. The, the central lyric of the song is, you've got to break the mold before you get too old. You know, you get the idea that time is running out, but it's not a panic-stricken. It's more like giving into the idea that, wow, time is passing and there's nothing you can do about it. And that didn't hit, obviously, that much with me when I was 15 years old, but I mean... I, I can imagine that that idea hits with you like it hits with me. Yeah, yeah. This is one that I like more now than I did then. It stays with that, you know, it doesn't quite pick up the pace like I was hoping it would. While still, this is a, this one's three minutes long, basically. And I think is just, it packs a bigger punch because of it. There is some cool, you know, wordplay in this one. And that, you know, that's the line that comes back all the time. And just that idea of, of summer's gone while still being such a youthful idea. Summers don't mean as much to you when you're just working a regular job <laughs> as yeah, they do right. when you're when you're in school. So it's got that metaphor that works for when you're young, but doesn't really make as much sense until you're a little bit older. So I think there's a nice little juxtaposition there. Certainly, certainly. On to track 11, Scared of Girls. This is my favorite song on this record. Oh, I wow. fucking love this song. This song rocks. Uh, I wish there was a little bit more of this up tempo. I love the the this, just the slamming guitar and drums at the beginning. That and makes a lot it, of sense. Yeah, <laughs> when it just when it kicks in, and just the the drummers just like frantic in this one. And there's some just cool lyrics, like the, uh, you know, your, your, your younger sister got a blister where I kissed her on her thigh. And I like how that on her thigh still works. You know, it's obviously he's got the, because usually if you get that three rhymes, if you go to the four, it begins to sound dumb. And then just the way he throws that line out there, like on her thigh, it's like, that's fucking cool. And then, you know, about what toured with MC five and just the way he's ending those, those lines with those like, like vocal bends where he just goes down. Yeah. It's fucking great. And this is, uh, I mean, this is the big cock rock song that really, I wish there would have been like one or two more like this, but I'm really happy to have this one because this is such a great tune. So what do you think about this one? This is one of those songs where, okay, so I grew up in southwestern Pennsylvania, very rural area. It's it's at the head of Appalachia, and it's it's in in the middle of all those Rust Belt areas that you know. So very post-industrial, lots of attention to aggressive masculinity, lots of emphasis on that. It's in the culture. So a band like Placebo ain't gonna play well so much in that part of the world, especially if I you know take this record around to all my fifteen-year-old friends and be like you know who used to listening to Metallica and all the grunge and 
fucking Limp Biscuit and shit like that on the radio. And it'll take that, they don't know what the hell to do with it, you know, especially if you hear something like Pure Morning. Maybe not so much Pure Morning. That's a likable enough song, but definitely Ask for Answers and uh, Without You, I'm Nothing and My Fucking Sweet Prince. So then you trot this one out and be like, hey, how you like your rock? Hey, what about this? You know, li- listen to this shit right here. And it's almost a Motley Crue song this song i mean i mean it's got enough bravado it's got that swagger this should have been a single this really should have been a single right here this is one that really other than that one time that i heard pure morning on the radio i'm sure i heard that a few more times i don't remember hearing any of these songs on the radio because i just wasn't listening to the radio very much at this point where i was getting my music was just from other channels from you know i was reading reviews i was talking to friends and and in 99 i ended up working at vinyl fever for the about a year and so then that was another musical education for me so you know hearing these in the context of a single i don't I just, you know, I've never seen any of the videos. I don't think I've ever heard another one of these songs on the radio to my recogle- to my recollection. But the idea that this wasn't a single is just amazing to me. It is three minutes and one second of pure rock awesome and how you would not be able to make that work, especially at that time when the radio had been taken over by a bunch of mooks, you know, <laughs> just, uh, you know, this is one that could stand up there because it has a little bit of that glammy, sleazy... You know, maybe that's not what was going on at the time. You could have played this after System of a Down or something, and it wouldn't have been totally out of place. The craziest thing about about Placebo here is they didn't hit so big on a single from this album or their first album or even their next album, which you're a pretty big fan of. But they ended up hitting on a cover of a Kate Bush song. And that apparently made them big enough in America to tour to the point where they went on tour with Linkin Park. Oh, really? Thus coming back around to this new metal thing, you know, being able to somehow get associated with that. Yes, it was about 2007, 2008 that Placebo was on tour with Linkin Park. And it was the uh, craziest fucking thing. That does sound crazy. Because I, I saw them... In, I think, 2002 or 2003. I don't exactly remember. But I saw them... Sleeping with Ghosts era, huh? Yeah, I think so. What were they like live? They were good. I I found that I enjoyed them, but that it wasn't like super great. And it wasn't disappointing. But it was, I think I saw, that was an era, like I just got lucky and saw like four or five really great shows. And just what I remember about that one is that it was adequate. But they have one of those where there's a dude playing guitar on the side of the stage. So you get the, you know, because it's like like I said, a three piece. So, So the singer plays the guitar. There's a bass player who I'm almost positive was actually also playing guitar. <laughs> Seems and not, plausible. And not playing bass. And then the drummer, and there was a guy, uh, one of those where you can see, like, basically the guitar tech or the roadie or something sweetened the sound quite a bit from the side of the stage. So he wasn't at, you know, you could see him, if depending where you were looking, you could see him rocking out, but he wasn't on the stage with the actual band. And I just remember, which I'm fine with, I you know, it, it wasn't like re- pre-recorded vocals with dance moves or anything. So... Yeah. It was good, but the dude that was standing in front of me was doing this like weird little dance. He was having a fucking great time. So I, I wish I was having as much fun as that guy was having. But I, I, I think I went to that show by myself. It was a good show in the midst of a couple of really good shows. Sounds good. So that brings us to the final listed track, Burger Queen.
What do you think about this? All right. So going back to the what Brian Moko had to say about uh, pure mourning, about that feeling of alienation and, you know, wanting comfort. I get that more on this song right here. I get this. Oh, yeah. The, there is such yearning in this melody. It's just a vast ocean with no land in sight and just darkness and being tossed around by waves. It's a pretty stunning song, and I think it's a pretty epic closer. They're, even though they're trying to play it low-key, it works wonderful as a closer to the album proper. I agree, and I'm a sucker for a slow closer. So even though I was complaining about some of the other slow songs up here, and this one doesn't go full on all the way down. It's not as slow as some of the other ones. So it's a little more maybe mid-tempo, but yeah, just that searching and that questioning feel to take this album out. This was my buddy's favorite song. He loved this song and he just kept kind of ruminating, like, what, what do I think? What is a burger queen? What are we talking about here? You know, are we talking about somebody who is maybe maybe trans? Are we talking about somebody who feels like they're a ripoff, you know, as opposed to Burger King, your Burger Queen, you know, like one of those crappy off brands that you'll see mm -hmm, on Reddit. Sure. Uh, and there's, I'm sure, a lot of different ways to read into it. And I purposely didn't go through the lyrics on this one just because I wanted to keep it in my head as how we talked about this back in 99 one of those times just talking about what we liked about the song and what we liked about this album and other stuff that we were listening to at the time so it wasn't just exclusive to that but i just remember him there was something about this that really floated through my friend's head quite a bit that we ended up really having conversations about what what did we think about it I wanted to keep it there, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I understand that. Uh, it's 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 very heavy, and I could understand how somebody really wants to pack a you know c could pack a lot into that song. If you like the lyrics, if you like the way they're sung, uh, this was released as a single in France, and there is a French version of this song. Really? Uh, yes. So if you're into French singing, it might be a good idea for you to go ahead and check that the french version out it's actually not the first time or the only time they did that uh with their song they sang a few of their songs in french and released them there to great fanfare he's bilingual i believe brian Molko. and then i think another one of them grew up in luxembourg maybe that's another burger queen so luxemburger queen i think he actually says at one point in the song uh, -huh. uh so there's something there but yeah good closer all the way around again taking us out of the album proper now, because it was the 90s and you kind of had to do this or, you know, there's a hidden track here, which I have uh, since found out is has been named Evil Dildo. So on the original CD, Burger Queen is listed as being 22 minutes and 39 seconds long. Now, I don't know how long Burger Queen is by itself. That's what I would have been listening to on, on Spotify, but I didn't really look because it doesn't make it easy for you to see how long it is if you're listening to the whole album. And it had however long, you know, probably with five minutes of space. And then it goes out on this primarily a instrumental there's some computer-assisted vocals at the very, very end. What do you think about this? 
Oh, boy. I have listened to this song twice in my life. Once when I first got the album, and I fast-forwarded to the end to see what it was, and once today when I was reviewing for this album. I cannot listen to it. It is so disturbing. It is not only the lyrics. It's because these lyrics are allegedly a death threat that was sent to Brian Moko. This was left on his answering machine. And uh, that must have been freaky for him to receive it. Not just because of the words that were being said, but because of the way they were like being fed through a vocoder. It's almost like, uh, I don't know if you ever had, when you were younger, a speak and spell, or got exposed to one of those, or fucked around with one of those. Oh yeah. But it sounds like an evil speak and spell. And when I was a child, my speak and spell while providing many, many minutes of education for my young mind, sometimes would freak out on me, and it was the scariest thing, still is the one of the scariest things that I have ever encountered. And so I just remember my old speak and spell freaking out when I hear this. And not only is my old speak and spell freaking out, it's telling me that it's going to tear off my cock. <laughs> this is one that didn't get a ton of play just because of the, because of the space, you know, because the music leading up to it is fairly interesting because I am not in general a fan of the hidden track, especially when it's on. It's one thing if you bury it to, let's say, you, you know, let's say Burger Queen is track 12 and then you make Evil Dildo track 20. And so, it, you know, it, in each of those, because I was like, I think Marilyn Manson did that on one where he had like 99 empty tracks and yeah. then the last song or something. That's annoying enough. But if I wanted to put Burger Queen on, it's like if you're doing a mixtape, that's one thing. But if you're, if you're doing it, if you were making a, a, a CD, you basically couldn't include Burger Queen at the time because it wasn't easy unless you, you know what you're like, how to, you couldn't really edit songs. Right, you rip the songs right. and you put them on. So I could never put Burger Queen on a CD for somebody because it was 22 minutes and 39 fucking seconds long, you know? <laughs> and I don't got that kind of time to dedicate to one tune. So that's just one that uh, didn't always play through. But listening to it, it's like there because it's freak. You know, it's like it's there's a lot going on because a lot of times those you know that final track was just it was a throwaway anyway, or it was something short and dumb or just whatever. So. So the fact that this has some musical merit to it is, I think, interesting because it's like it's not a bad song. But yeah, then you get that. And I didn't realize that that's what that was at the end there and and how weird those vocals are at the end and how it still manages to carry a melody. Because the first thing I thought of was there and I'm sure it still does, but it's been a million years since I played with it. But I think on Word, you could get Word to speak, right, if you had the right thing. And it had that kind of freaky robotic sound to it. And I didn't know if maybe that was it. So now I'm going to have to listen to it again and, and catch that end a little bit closer. But It's uh, the longest song, I think, actually. The, the track itself is eight minutes long. The fact that they would just store that as a secret track or not try to do something else with that is a little puzzling, unless it was just a jam, in which case, hey, fuck off. Put an answering machine thread over the top of that and stick it at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who knows why anybody did anything in the 90s, but that was one of the things. That brings us to the end there. So, Brenda, what are your final thoughts? I fucking love it, obviously. I liked this when it was when I was younger because it was different. It was expressing an emotion that I was feeling but in a different way, almost like it was trying to lead me 
towards something. It gave me a little bit of, of, you know, an indication that there are people out there, there are sensitive people out there. They might be fucked up people, but they're sensitive too. And um, this is a look into their hearts, basically. Yeah, so this is one that's really stuck with me. And this is a band that I stuck with for quite a while. They never quite wrote the album I was hoping they would write. They never quite took that leap for me. So I love this record. I really, I love black market music as well. Sleeping with Ghosts, I thought was good. And then I'm trying to think of, and I haven't really, because I think when their drummer quit and then was replaced, I just haven't heard anything. I haven't heard the last maybe two albums that they've done. Because what was, what, Battle for the World or something? Yeah, Battle for the Sun and then Loud Like Love, which I think I listened to once and... It's just like, yeah, they're placebo. They're kind of doing their placebo thing. I mean, but it's just like, uh uh-huh, you you guys go on with your bad selves. Yeah, so Battle for the Sun was really very poorly reviewed, where I want to say somebody said it sounded like a, a cover band trying to sound like placebo. I just wasn't in the mood for that at the time. And one of these days I'll, I'll go back and, and visit it because on Spotify, when an album ends, it, sometimes it goes into that album playlist mode and something from one of the records I wasn't familiar with came on and it sounded good. And so I'm like, ah, maybe I'll just have to revisit or actually visit those, those last two. But this is one that's stuck with me for a while. I've, I've, carried this with me you know so a lot of times an album like you listen to it a lot and then it just sort of stays where where it was because you've moved on to other things whereas this one has really it's moved with me it doesn't it reminds me of 1999 yeah that's when i was listening to it 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 Uh, very very like explicitly there's a very late 90s brand of like queerness and and sexuality there because brian Molko said he was bisexual uh one of the other members is gay and like it was filling a space in, in during those times and placebo can keep making music they can do whatever they want they're human beings of their own volition but i don't think anybody necessarily needs placebo in 2019 2020 because um, there are a lot of other bands expressing that sort of sexuality through music a lot better than they are right now. But if they, if they just want to keep on writing and playing uh, glam rock, God bless them. Yeah, so this is one. I'm glad I heard it when I did. There's a, a million bands where I've listened to one record and then just for whatever reason, even if I like that record, didn't listen to their next one or their next one didn't do much for me and then I let, let it go. Placebo is a band that I have carried with me as well and that's uh, it's always nice and who knows, maybe we'll, we'll, there'll be an episode of Black Market Music in, in the future with, uh, with another guest. I would like to encourage anybody if you are interested in co-hosting the show to send me an email at love this record at gmail.com i do have a wish list on my website which you can find at lovethisrecord.com and if there's something there that you like hey drop me a line let me know that you want to do a show if you see some things that are interesting but maybe not exactly what you want to talk about send me a list of uh, albums that you love maybe there's some crossover that's not an exhaustive list people brendan i really appreciate you stopping by the show it was a really nice to talk about this one thank you very much and we'll talk to you soon Goodbye. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you for listening. You can find all of our episodes at lovethisrecord.com. Intro and outro music by The Ashes of Grissom. And thanks as always to original patron, Mark Evers.